Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he came near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying, Go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You will say this, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found things just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their robes on the colt and set Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their robes on the road. As he was approaching the slope of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He replied, I tell you, if these people would be silent, the stones would cry out. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who comes into Jerusalem today as our king. Certainly seems today on Palm Sunday that Jesus has finally made it, right? He finally appears to be the king that he claimed to be. The people are crowding to him, thronging to him, not like they had before earlier in his ministry, just to get a a free meal or to be healed, or sometimes they came to him in order to kill him. Now they are coming to him to acclaim him as the king, the king of Jerusalem, the rightful heir to David's throne. It appears like it's all... It's all coming together now, the culmination of Jesus' ministry. But there's a caution for us to take here. Jesus comes as a king, but let us not today mistake the king we want for the king we need. Palm Sunday is very regal and royal, isn't it? I mean, from the music that we play and the accompaniment, Mint on the, on the trombone. And, and everything we see here in the gospel lesson, right? It's all very regal, very royal. Exhibit A is Jesus himself. He's finally acting like a king. Kings command their servants to do their bidding. And Jesus tells two of his disciples to go get him a colt to ride into Jerusalem on. Kings don't ask their subjects to use their property. They commandeer it, they requisition it, and that's what Jesus does here. He tells his disciples, if, if anyone asks you why you're taking it, tell them, the Lord needs it. There's no more information. There's no information on whether the owner will get the cold back or how long it will be gone. Jesus just says, it's mine. I'm the king. Now, you might think a colt is a rather strange mode of transportation for a king, but it's interesting to note that nowhere else in Jesus' ministry do we ever hear him riding on anything. The rest of his ministry, he got where he was going the old-fashioned way, on his own two feet. We might think that, that uh, Air Force One or a stallion might be more fitting for a king, but 
in the ancient days, the mode of transportation that a king chose to ride into a city on said a lot about why he was there. If a king strode into a city riding on a war horse, a stallion, it meant he was there for war. On the other hand, if a a king rode into a city on a colt, it means that he came to bring peace. And of course, we know that Jesus came to bring peace. He didn't come to conquer, but rather to be conquered on the cross. And when you combine that fact with Zechariah's prophecy in the Old Testament that said, the true king of Israel will come into Jerusalem riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, you can see that Jesus is making a huge statement here. He is staking his rightful claim on David's throne. He is claiming that he is the true, the promised king of Israel. Exhibit B comes from the people. They go crazy over Jesus entering as king, don't they? They throng to him. They set up a parade route leading into Jerusalem. It's kind of like when when a sports team is victorious in our country, cities will throw a parade for them. They throw their coats down on the ground so that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a royal carpet. They pluck palm branches. Palm branches in Jerusalem and in Israel were kind of like the national flag. So when people wave the stars and stripes for the president, that's kind of what they were doing. They were wagging, waving the national flag of Jerusalem, of Israel, before their king. And this praise wasn't undeserved. It wasn't blind praise. Luke tells us that they praised Jesus as king because of the miracles they had seen. Think about the, the rumors or the, the, the talk that had to be going around among these crowds. One person would say, hey, you know what? I saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with just the little boy's lunch. Another would say, I, I heard he calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee with just his words. Almost everyone here undoubtedly would have heard of his, his final miracle that he performed, raising Lazarus from the dead after he had been in the tomb for four days. All of this praise was very well deserved. The surprising thing is that Jesus now accepts it. You know, earlier in his ministry... He had told people when he had done a miracle, he said, be quiet, don't tell anyone what I have done. When they tried to crown him as king after he fed the 5,000, he actually hid from the people. He wasn't ready to be crowned king yet. He doesn't tell them as he will tell Pilate in a couple days, my kingdom is not of this world. No, this is the one day, the one time in his ministry that Jesus accepts the praise of the people. He accepts them calling him the king of Israel. It seems like Jesus has finally made it, right? Like that baby born in Bethlehem has, is finally living up to the angelic hype. That he's actually coming to bring peace and justice to God's people, his chosen people in Jerusalem. It seems like he's finally made it. That he's ready to restore Israel to its rightful place. To, to kick the Romans out and to bring peace and prosperity back to God's chosen people. It seems that way. And that's a pretty tempting way to think about Jesus, right? In fact, I dare say that this is the type of Jesus that is proclaimed in many, if not most, supposedly Christian churches. 
This is the, the mighty and powerful Jesus who comes to release people from their slavery to addiction, to drugs or alcohol. This is the, the mighty, powerful Jesus who came down from heaven to save people from their prisons of sadness or sickness or depression. This is the Jesus who comes to give you your best life now, who will save your marriage, who will entertain and educate your children, who will ensure that you always have enough money throughout retirement, who will take care of your every earthly need, who will liberate you from those two greatest burdens of life in 21st century America. What are those two greatest burdens? Credit card and student debt. This is the kind of Jesus that the world can accept. The kind of Jesus that comes to make everything right again in our lives. That's the kind of Jesus that many people want. That's the kind of Jesus that is acceptable to this world. And that's the kind of Jesus that these crowds thought they were getting. Just a few verses before our text, Luke tells us this. Uh, because he was near Jerusalem, the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They thought Jesus was going to take his rightful place on David's throne. They thought that he was going to come and kick the Romans out of Israel and restore peace and prosperity, liberate Israel like it had always been under King David and Solomon. They weren't expecting suffering. They weren't expecting him to be betrayed or arrested or crucified. And most people in our world today don't want that kind of a Jesus either. They want a powerful, majestic Jesus. One who will fix all that is wrong in their lives here and now. No cross for them, just the crown for them. And lest you think that this is just a screed against other churches or against the world and that we're so much better than they are, I have a confession to make. Often that's the kind of Jesus I want too, right? I don't want a Jesus who, who suffers and then says, if you follow me, you too will suffer. I don't want a Jesus who is despised by this world and then says, if you call yourself a Christian after me, you're going to be despised as well. I don't really want a Jesus who takes up his cross and then says to me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross too. No, I, I want a powerful Jesus who's going to fix all the problems in my life, who can give me my best life now. Not one who says we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. But one that says it's all going to be okay. The pain will go away. The sadness will go away. It's all going to be all right. How does that manifest itself in our lives? That we are looking for the wrong kind of Jesus, the Jesus that we want rather than the Jesus that we need. Well, consider your prayer life. Do you, in your prayers, are they overflowing with thanksgiving for what Jesus accomplished by his death on the cross? That he has freed you from sin, death, and the devil? Or are your prayers more filled with pleading for things in this life, things here and now, to free you from financial insecurity or to repair some broken relationship in your life? Think about your attitude towards worship. Do you always recognize that this is the place and this is the time through these humble means of grace that Jesus gives us the greatest treasures that this world has ever known? 
the forgiveness of sins, new life, and salvation? Or do we kind of think of coming to worship as like putting a coin into the divine vending machine to ensure that God's blessings keep rolling in our lives out there? Or maybe the, the clearest, coldest, hardest evidence is kind of like what we see with this crowd today versus what we see on Good Friday. This crowd that hails Jesus as their king on Palm Sunday will shout, crucify, crucify on Good Friday. And they won't be there standing around the cross praising Him but mocking Him. Today you are here singing the praises of King Jesus on the day that He looks the most glorious and majestic. The question is, where will you be on Monday, Thursday as He is betrayed and arrested and Good Friday as He is mutilated and hung on a tree? We make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is the King we want who comes to fix everything that is wrong in our earthly lives we're not only making a mistake, we're committing idolatry. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. There is no Jesus like that. We must repent. Repent for your own good. Repent and, and, and rethink how you imagine Jesus, what kind of king he is in your life. Because honestly, if, if Jesus' work stopped here at Luke 19, verse 40, if it ended with him at the top, the pinnacle of glory and majesty, well, then none of us would be saved. A Jesus who never went to the cross could never save anyone. A Jesus who didn't suffer will never save anyone from their sins. If Jesus' work stopped here on Palm Sunday and it didn't continue on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, well, then we are still really under the control of the devil. Our sins do still condemn us, and we have every reason to be terrified of death because the yawning gates of hell remain open. It can be deceiving, though. Appearances can be deceiving because on, on Palm Sunday, it appears that Jesus is coming to take his father David's throne, his rightful place as the king of Israel. But there are two things that, or one thing that, that helps us to see through the, the fawning crowds and the, the waving palm branches. To tell his disciples, find me a colt that has never been ridden on. Now, why does that matter? Well, there's a little known detail from Deuteronomy chapter 21 in the Old Testament that has to do with how the Israelites were to handle an unsolved murder. So if, if someone was found dead somewhere and, and, and there was no clue as to who had done it, God commanded his people that you must go find a heifer that had never been ridden. And then they were to take it down to the river and they were to break its neck. In that way, that heifer was atoning for the guilt of that murder. It was actually more than that, though. This is what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 21. They were to say, Atone, Lord, for your people whom you have redeemed. Through that heifer, the Lord himself was atoning for the guilt of the people. So the picture we have here of Jesus riding on a colt that has never been ridden on is the Lord coming to Jerusalem to atone for the guilt of his people. 
the appearances, they can be deceiving. Jesus isn't riding into Jerusalem on a war horse to conquer his enemies. He's riding on a colt to be conquered by them. He's not riding into Jerusalem to slaughter the Romans, but rather to be slaughtered by them. The Palm Sunday crowds, all they can see is the the majesty and the glory. But Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that that not long after the, the palm branches are done being waved, there will be a Roman whip tearing into his back. He knows that he's not entering Jerusalem to be installed on the throne of his father David, but rather to be installed with nails through his hands and feet on a cross. He knows that even as all of these crowds are adoring him and acclaiming him as king on Palm Sunday, that on Good Friday, not only the religious establishment, not only the crowds, not only his disciples, but even his own father will abandon him. Jesus knows what's really coming. He knows that he did not come to be the kind of king the people wanted, but the kind of king that they needed. On Palm Sunday, it's easy to be mistaken, to to think that Jesus is the kind of king that we want, the one who will solve all of the problems in our earthly lives. But it's clear that he's not. On Palm Sunday, it seems like even the stones are going to shout out and acclaim him as king. And yes, the stones will shout out, but when do they do it? Not on Palm Sunday, but on Good Friday. Not on Palm Sunday, but only after Pilate has attached that sign over Jesus' head saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Not on Palm Sunday, but after Jesus had breathed his last, do the stones cry out, shaking and quaking and splitting open as a testament to that that horrible but awful Horrible and awful, but saving truth. O sorrow, dread, God's Son is dead. That's the Jesus we need. A bloody, suffering, and dying Jesus. Let the world have the the wealth and health Jesus. Let Let the world have the King of power and glory. I need a King of suffering and gore. Because a king that doesn't die on a cross is no savior. A king, Jesus, that doesn't go to the cross in my place leaves me in my sins and leaves me damned and condemned to hell. This is the king I need. See beyond the glory, the majesty of Palm Sunday. See to the cross. Where, which is your king's true throne. Where his, where his, it's where he buys us our salvation. It can be deceiving on Palm Sunday. You know, with the, the great music, the wonderful songs that we sing, the psalms of praise, the acclamation, it seems like Jesus has made it. It can seem like Jesus came to be the king, not only the world, but we often want. But that kind of king doesn't save anyone. The world may be deeply offended by the blood and the gore of the cross, but that's exactly what I want. Because there's nothing more than I need, that I need than the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. 
May God help us this holy week to never mistake the king we want for the king we need. Amen.